Turn over to Job chapter 19. I've actually got four passages that I want you to look at with me this morning as we get started and kind of use as not necessarily a uh, text passage, but a jumping off point. And uh, honestly, what I want to talk about this morning goes right along with the song that we just sang. But Job chapter 19 is where we'll start. And uh, if you can follow along with me, that'd be great. I want to look at these four different passages and, and just kind of see a, a, a similarity or a, uh, something that all of these passages have in common. And uh, maybe once you see the actual passages, in fact, they are up there, uh, maybe you can kind of start to guess the direction that we go in, especially when you see this first one. Uh, but turn with me, if you will. Job chapter 19 and verse number 13, the Bible says this, He hath put my brethren far from me. And mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. Sounds pretty lonely, doesn't it? Look at Psalm 142. I'll give you a second to get over there. But Psalm 142, of course, uh, most of... Uh, well, let me ask you this. I'll do a trivia question real quick. How many of the Psalms did David write? 75, 75 of the Psalms, about 75, because there's some that they don't know exactly who the author was, um, but about 75, you know, we think, you, you, if, I should have asked you the question first, who wrote Psalms, because most of you would have said David, right, and that's, in, and that's a common misconception, but Moses wrote some of the Psalms, Asaph wrote some of the Psalms, and honestly, if you start reading through the book of Psalms, if you have a, uh, any kind of, of study Bible, and, and a lot of times even not a study Bible, it'll tell you right in the top who wrote it. Um, but it's pretty interesting. David wrote 75 of them, but here in Psalm 142, verse number four, we see this. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Lamentations, chapter three. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations, and uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. It comes right after that. But it was uh, Lamentations, when you think of somebody lamenting, that's exactly what the book of Lamentations is all about. It's a pretty discouraging book, honestly. Um, but Lamentations chapter 3, in verse number 28, Jeremiah says this, He sitteth alone and keepeth silence, because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. And then one last passage that I want you to look at as we get started this morning is John chapter 5. This is a story that you're probably pretty familiar with as well. Uh, but the pool of Bethesda was a place of healing. And every so often, the angel would come down and stir the waters, and the first person in that water would be healed. Pretty amazing place. But the Bible says this in John chapter 5, of verse number 7, because there was a man who had been there for many, many years, who had laid by that pool, and never could he get to the water first. And so he was an impotent man, the Bible says, in verse number seven, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. All of these passages have something in common. And there's a lot of other passages that we could look at this morning that really have the same commonality. But each one of these men were absolutely alone. Job was alone. David was alone. Jeremiah was alone. This impotent man was alone. They felt the pain of loneliness. And if you're observant at all, you can see that there's a huge increase in loneliness, not only around the world, but right around just about every corner. 
Uh, it wasn't too long ago that NBC actually aired a special news report on the increase of loneliness in people around the world. And it's quite a problem everywhere, but it seems to be uh, even more of a problem in Britain. And I, and I suppose part of it is because, man, it rains all the time there, and it's just a, it just seems like a, an ugly place to live. I don't know. I've never been there, so I can't say that. But, um, you know, it's just... You know, the, the more that people get att uh, attached to social media and the more you should have friends and everything else, the lonelier people get. But they found out through this study that, that Britain had some of the most lonely people. And so uh, there are more than 9 million people in that country that always or often feel alone. And so it's pretty interesting, but it, uh, it, a report came out in 2017 um, published by the Joe Cox Commission on Loneliness. And when that report came out, Theresa May was actually the Prime Minister of England at that time. And so in January of 2018, it prompted her to establish a ministry of loneliness. And she appointed a minister of loneliness to head up that department. And this new undersecretary in England has been commissioned to work on what the Prime Minister said, quote, for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. I want to confront this challenge for our society and for all of us to take action to address the loneliness. How is that possible? You think about, you think about social media today, and we have more communication, we have more, we have more connection than ever, and yet people feel more disconnected and alone than ever. And it's not just the people that are living alone. There's a lot of people who feel alone in a crowd, right? They're surrounded by people, great crowds of people, but they feel, feel very much isolated. In our own country, we have medical professionals that are, are now talking about loneliness as a public health issue, and we run suicides all the time uh, in this county. Uh, people who left notes and just said, I felt alone. I feel like I'm the only one here. I feel like the world would be better off without me, right? Perhaps it's always been that in some way, but se uh, separation and anxiety are all traced back to the fall of man. In fact, turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Sin separated man from the love and the acceptance God always intended. By the way, I, I talk to people all the time because of what I do as a chaplain who, who say, why would God do this to me? Somebody is laying uh, dead in, in, a, in a bedroom or in the living room or, or at a scene of a suicide or a homicide or something. Like that. Why would God do this to me? And I tell them all the time, I say, well, number one, God didn't do this to you. Number two, if I could understand that, if I knew why God allowed this to happen, then I would be God. And I've obviously not anywhere close to that. I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know this, God didn't intend for it to be that way. God created the world to be perfect. God created man to live forever on the earth, right? Satan introduced sin. Man fell for that sin, disobedience to God. And man brought that on himself. And then God gets the blame for everything that bad that happens in this world, right? But the Bible says this in, in Genesis chapter 3, of course, God created Adam, gave him complete rule of the garden, had him name and all the animals, and gave him complete free reign except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God created Eve, and, and Satan came in the form of a serpent to Eve and tempted her to sin, and she disobeyed God. She took of that fruit, and then she took that fruit to Adam and said, hey, you need to eat this too. And he said, all right, I'll do it. And we see what happens there in verse number 8 of Genesis chapter 3. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. By the way, they did that with God every day. God would come down and walk with Adam 
in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. They had sweet fellowship. They had sweet communion. That's the way that God intended it to be. But it says this, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Obviously, God already knew the answer to that question. He already knew that that's what they had done. He already knew that's why they were hiding themselves. He already knew exactly where they were hidden, by the way. But he says this in verse number 12. The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And it goes on. And obviously, God had to bring the curse on man. God had to uh, change the way things were done in the Garden of Eden. But obviously, when they sinned, that fellowship was broken and they were alone. They hid themselves from God. We have the truth that a lonely world desperately needs to hear. See, all of God's people are commissioned to be ministers for loneliness. Because we have the answer. We know what makes people lonely. We know what makes people feel isolated and alone. And so this morning, I want to give you three things that will cure the epidemic of loneliness. The epidemic of loneliness. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at a few passages this morning. Father, we love you again. We thank you for how good you are to us. I pray this would be a help and an encouragement to us this morning. And God, I pray that you'd help us to fill in and step in in this role of ministers of loneliness and help people who are going through those things. And God, I pray that as we look at these Bible passages this morning, that it will be an encouragement to us to continue going and serving for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. Everybody needs Jesus. That's the first cure for loneliness, right? Turn over to Mark chapter 15. The world doesn't know it. Many people wouldn't admit it. But what everybody's looking for is a relationship that transcends earthly interaction. Only Jesus can say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, right? He says that in Hebrews chapter 13. Only Jesus can say that. Now, we can try to say that. We can say, hey, I'm here for you, buddy. I'll be here for you. You need something, you call me. I'll be there when you need me. But only Jesus can say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's what the world needs. The world needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you need to understand something this morning. Jesus knows what it feels like to be alone. Mark chapter 15 and verse 34, and this is the story of Jesus as he hung there on the cross. And you can just imagine what he had been through. He, he had 12 people that were, that were faithful to him, right? One of them turned out to be a traitor, Judas. And all the rest of the 11, and of course you had Peter. I'll never leave you, right? Peter said it. I'll never leave you. They're going to come, and if they try to take you, I got my sword. I'm never going to leave you. And as soon as they came, Peter was gone, right? And so were all the rest of the 11, and Jesus was alone. And the Bible says this, as he hung on the cross in Mark chapter 15 and verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? That was the only person he felt like he had left was his heavenly father. God was the only one. And now God had turned his back on Jesus Christ. Hey, he knows what it feels like to be absolutely alone. He hung there bearing the burden of the sin of the entire world on his back. And even God turned his back on him. You're not alone in your loneliness. If you feel alone this morning, you're in great company of a lot of great people in the Bible. We looked at a lot of passages at the beginning this morning of great people in the Bible who were absolutely alone. 
The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16, and at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it might not be laid to their charge. When you're lonely, most of the time, you feel as if you're in the dark, a dark place all by yourself. Take hope in the fact that there's been a lot of people who have faced the same loneliness and came out on the other side with the realization that what they needed was Jesus Christ. There are so many people who have everything. They have money. They have a good job. They have a nice house. They have two or three cars. They've got boats and uh, uh, um, ATVs and all kinds of other stuff. And they think that that, you know, you've always heard that money cannot buy happiness. And I've always said, hey, let me try. You know, at least I'll be lonely with money, right? But money can't buy happiness. And so many people are trying to, to fill that void by buying more things and accumulating more stuff. Right? And that void is never filled. I forget, it was one of, these, one of these mainline actors, one of these A-list actors who said, I have everything and yet I still feel alone. And boys, I just want to tell him, what you need is Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is not, you don't, it's, it's not that, that you have everything and, and hey, buddy, you got, you got the world on a string. You have, you have all these houses and cars and you got a great job and you have position and you have influence and you have all this stuff. All you need is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not a cherry that you put on top of ice cream. He's not, well, you got everything. Now all you need to add to that is Jesus Christ. You either have Jesus Christ or you have nothing. You have him or you are nothing. And so many people are trying to fill that void by buying things and hoarding things and, and, and gaining power and doing all of these other things when what they need is Jesus Christ. When you live conscious of his presence, you never have to be lonely. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. I want to look at a couple passages here in Isaiah and, and, and point these out to you. Because when you live in his presence, when you live conscious of the presence of Jesus Christ in your life, you never have to be alone. And I'm talking about knowing Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm not saying that all your problems go away. I'm not saying that all of a sudden you're not, you're not going to feel alone anymore because there will be times when you feel like you're doing it by yourself. But what I am saying is when you realize that you do have Jesus Christ there, you never have to feel alone. You never should feel alone. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. There's a man that said, you know what? God did leave me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But you know what? Jesus did leave you. Oh, he left me alone. That's what he's saying in this passage. The Lord hath forsaken me. My Lord hath forgotten me. And you know what God says in verse number 15? Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. Hey, a woman that's got a baby that's feeding, is she going to forget to feed the baby? Of course not. And God says, it's a lot more likely that a woman is going to forget to feed a baby than, I, than that I will forget you. He says, I'm not, I'm not forsaking you. you. You're not alone. I have not forgotten you. Verse, Isaiah 54 and verse number 7. <laughs> For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse number 10. Isaiah 41, a couple pages before that probably. I love this. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Hey, I'm alone. No, you're not. Not if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. 
Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Hey, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. You're not alone. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not alone. He's not forsaking you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I don't blame you in your loneliness. You are absolutely alone. You might be surrounded by people. You might have all kinds of people that you think are there. You might have a lot of family. You might have a lot of friends. You might have a lot of people that you work with. And yet you still feel alone. And you know why? It's because Jesus Christ is the only one that can fill that void. Jesus Christ is the only one that can cover that emptiness. But he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. But verse 17 says this, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Psalm 27 and verse 10, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. Hey, there's a lot of people who are facing that epidemic of loneliness. You may travel by yourself. You may live by yourself. You may work by yourself. But I'm glad to tell you this morning that you never have to be alone. You never have to be lonely. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus Christ spoke those words. That's not just a nice thought. It's not just a hope. It's a promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. The songwriter wrote these words. He's all I need when I just need someone to talk to. He's always there to hear my prayer each time I call him. All my needs he supplies, my thirsty soul he's satisfied. He's the Lord of lords, he's all I need. He comforts me when I'm weary and eases every pain. Fills my deepest longing time and time again. He's my soul's inspiration, my heart's consolation. He's my everything, he's all I need. He's all I need, I need not turn to any other. For he's a friend I can depend Closer than a brother. On this friend I can rely to be my strength as life goes by. He's the Lord of all. He's all I need. He comforts me when I'm weary and eases every pain. Fills my deepest longing time and time again. He's my soul's inspiration, my heart's consolation. He's my everything. He's all I need. If you're feeling that loneliness this morning, then perhaps all you need is a reminder that Jesus Christ is all you need. That's why it's also so important that we share Jesus Christ with others. How selfish do you have to be to know Jesus Christ as your own Savior, to know Jesus Christ in those times of loneliness, to feel the comfort that he gives when you're going through a difficult time, to know that he's there for you, and to know that that's what other people need, and yet to not share that message with them. They need Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I'm not saying that we're trying to give Jesus Christ as if he's some kind of pill that's going to make everything better. But those who are going through that loneliness and those who are suffering with that need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you know that you have the answer to what they need. The unsaved are living in loneliness because they're living without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They could only have someone to tell them that Jesus is the answer to that deep longing and that feeling of emptiness that they have inside of them. They would soon realize that the hope that they can have can only be found in knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. And listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's what's missing in your life. As hard as you try to fill that void with so many other things, you'll never fill it because only Jesus Christ can fill that emptiness. Jesus is a friend, the Bible says, that sticketh closer than a brother. 
so selfish to keep them to ourselves. There is hope, so be strong. There is hope. God sent me here to tell you there is hope, for he knows just what you're going through and what the future holds. Because Jesus lives, there is hope. Ah, as long as Jesus is alive and as long as you are alive, there's still hope through Jesus Christ. How do you cure the epidemic of loneliness? Number one, everybody needs Jesus. But number two, everybody needs friends. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 18. As I grow older, the more I realize that deep friendships are rare. You have acquaintances and casual friendships. I mean, they're all over the place, but everyone needs someone to be close to. You have to work to initiate and maintain those great relationships. They're so important. For the record, online interaction is not enough, right? We measure so many things today in how many thumbs up you get. Measure so many things by how many friends you have on Facebook or how many followers you have on Instagram or all these other different social media sites. So many people are, well, I'm popular. I have so many friends, and yet they're lonely because it's not, it's not really friends, right? It's different than having that close friendship. Have a conversation today. Make a phone call today. Write a letter. Visit somebody. Take a friend out for lunch, right? And I know this is a very practical thing, but it's also a very spiritual thing. We find it in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Right? Why would the Bible talk about that if it wasn't something that we need to focus on? If it's in the Bible, it's important. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. You need it. So do they. We don't have to be a friend of the world to be a friend of a soul. Right? The Bible tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So how can we be a friend to the world? Right? The Bible says, he that is a friend of the world is that enmity with God. How can you go be friends with people in the world? Hey, we don't have to be of the world to be in it. We don't have to be of the world to make friends of those people who need Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people out there condemning them for who they are. We need to condemn their sin, but we don't need to condemn their soul, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's God's job on the day of judgment to condemn their soul. Let that be God's work. They don't need another person telling them where they're wrong. Now, they need their sin pointed out to them. They need to understand that their sin is what made Jesus Christ have to die on the cross, Maybe all they need is someone to be a friend to them and show them the love of Jesus Christ, right? We hear so often how wicked homosexuality is, and I, I agree, and, and, and many times Christians stay away from somebody who's a homosexual, right? Oh, it's filthy, that's, un, that's an abomination to God, oh, and all these other things. And I'm not in the least bit condoning the sin of homosexuality because the Bible calls it an abomination. But do you remember what God also calls an abomination in the Bible? I don't have to take you to these passages, a false balance Lying lips, he that justifieth the wicked, a scorner, an unjust man, a proud look, a lying tongue, wicked thoughts in your heart, a false witness that speaketh lies, he that soweth discord among the brethren, should I go on? All of those things God calls an abomination to himself. John chapter 8 and verse 7, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Remember when Jesus Christ stooped to write in the sand? I wonder what he wrote. All these Pharisees were condemning this woman because they found this woman in adultery. By the way, where was the man? Why didn't they not bring the man that was caught in adultery too? But these Pharisees were wanting to stone this woman. They were going to cast these stones at her and they were going to make her pay for her sin. And Jesus stooped down and started writing in the sand. I have a feeling that maybe he wrote down in whatever Pharisee's name, Mark wrote his sin down in Mark 
turned his head and slunk away, right? James, oh, this Pharisee started writing James's sin in the ground. And James saw that and realized that, wow, that was something that I was trying to keep hidden. I didn't know that Jesus knew that, and he slunk his head and turned away, right? And one by one, they slunk away, and all that was left was this woman. And Jesus told her, go thy way and sin no more. But he told those Pharisees, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. I think that what we'll find is that when Jesus stoops down to begin writing in the sand, we'll be embarrassed by the things he could write about us, right? Men's camp out this week, I mentioned the idea that if we could take our insides and turn them to the outside, a lot of us wouldn't even show our faces in public because we'd be embarrassed about the things that are on the inside, right? We're as wicked as they are. Let God condemn them in, his, in this life or when they stand before him. Let's hate the sin. Let's hate the sin. And let's stand up where that sin needs to be stood up to. But let's love the sinner. Be a friend to the sinner. Isn't that what the Pharisees condemned Jesus for? Oh, this guy eats with publicans and sinners. Right? And Jesus said, yes, I do. Because somebody needs to show him the love of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, his life was changed because Jesus sat and ate with a sinner. Right? The publican who beat on his chest. They can be changed. They need Jesus Christ, and they need somebody to show them the love of Jesus Christ, and they need a friend. That rem reminds you that somebody loved you and befriended you when you were a sinner too, right? What if somebody looked at you and said, oh, that guy's too wicked. Oh, that guy's too far gone. Oh, that guy doesn't deserve Jesus Christ. And I'm standing here to tell you today, neither do I. I don't deserve Jesus Christ. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve somebody to be a friend to me, and yet somebody was. Somebody cared. And they shared the love of God with me. And I was able to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and it's the same thing that we need to do to others. I'm not saying in the least that we ought to be condoning sin. I'm not saying that we ought to pretend that it doesn't exist. I'm not saying that we ought to pretend that, that it doesn't happen. We ought to stand up and we ought to fight for it, right? Fight against it. This, this overturning of Roe versus Wade was a tremendous victory for the unborn in our country, right? To preserve life for those who cannot do anything to fight for themselves. But somebody who's had an abortion needs the love of Jesus Christ. Somebody who is considering having an abortion needs the love of Jesus Christ. They need somebody to be a friend to them. They need somebody to show them from the Bible why it's wrong and help them to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. All I'm saying is everybody needs a friend. And the last thing is this. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Everybody needs family. Hey, Psalm 86, Psalm 68 and verse number six says, God setteth the solitary, the solitary in families. Family was, family was the creator's idea. It was his, in his very nature. He placed it in ours. The love and the unity of the, the Godhead is to be seen in our homes. Don't neglect people living under your own roof, right? And, and what of those who don't have others in their home? A lot of people are separated from their family by circumstances or a geography. But that's why God gives us a church family, right? God has given us in this local church the opportunity to be a part of the greatest family on earth, the family of God, right? When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will lift me up. Isn't that the way that God talks about that? Hey, that's the family of God. When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're never alone because you have a family greater than one that you could ever have in this life. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God clearly is placing the emphasis on the importance of being in church. It's not a time to be in church less. It's a time to be in church more. We need more of it. We need more encouragement. We need more of the family of God. So many churches are, are cutting their Sunday night services and cutting out their Wednesday night services because they, they feel that they're not important or because people just don't come to them anymore. And so they, 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 they cut it out. Hey, we need more of that. That's why it's important that you come on Sunday nights. That's why it's important that you come on Wednesday night. And it's just another service. I know, I know I miss it from time to time. Hey, you ought to be here. If the doors of the house of God are open, you ought to be here. That's what the church is designed for, is to give us that fellowship. It's, it's designed to give us that strength that we need to get us through the rest of the week. Right? God says, don't neglect to be in church, and especially as we get closer to his coming, so much the more as you see the day approaching. You ought to be assembling together. We need it. We need the strength. We need the help. Hey, there's less and less and less people like us in this world today. More and more people who are moving away from the things of God. More and more people that don't even have an understanding of the word of God at all. This is when we need to band together. This is when we need our family. Build those relationships with other believers. Everybody needs family. You may be alone today, but you don't have to be lonely. Talk with Christ. Miss Eileen shared a poem with me a couple years ago, I think it was. But it's called, Christ is not a disappointment. It says this, I have found no satisfaction in the fleeting joys of earth. I have hewed me broken cisterns that have mocked me by their dearth. All the springs my soul had tested failed to meet my deepest need. Christ alone has met my longing. He is satisfied indeed. I've tried the world for pleasure, but it could not satisfy. Though it promised much, it failed me. All its wells and springs were dry. Everything I tried was empty, and I thought that life was vain. But he came and tuned my heartstrings, and I learned to sing again. I was tempted not to trust him, for so many things had failed. But so patiently he waited, and its tenderness prevailed. So I swung my heart's door open, and his promises I tried. Christ is not a disappointment. He has fully satisfied. Christ is not a disappointment. Every longing in my breast finds in him complete fulfillment. He has brought me into rest. I've tested him and proved him more than all I dreamed he'd be. Christ is not a disappointment. He is all in all to me. Reach out to other people around you. Consider the family you belong to and remember who your father is. Live in the presence of Jesus Christ and seek to minister to the lonely people around you. Hey, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a secret. That people are lonely. Not a secret that people are alone, even in a crowd. And you, all, all it takes is to sit there on a park bench for a little while or sit on the, on the bench at a mall and watch people walk by, and you can tell they're, they're lonely. They're miserable. You know that something is missing. How do we solve that epidemic of loneliness? Well, everybody needs Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the first step. You'll never fill that hole in your life, unless it's filled by Jesus Christ himself. But once you do know Jesus Christ is your savior, you never need to be lonely. He's there. Oh, I'm in the middle of this trial. God's left me alone. No, God hasn't left you alone. He's promised I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Ah, oh, 
Remember Isaiah? Oh, he left me. He's forgotten me. No, a woman might forget her baby. God's not going to forget his child. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs friends. Hey, won't you go be a friend to somebody who needs Jesus Christ? Won't you go share the gospel with them? That's a true friend, right? Could you call somebody a friend if they didn't tell you about something that was glaringly wrong, right? They saw somebody go and cut your brake lines on your car. Well, none of my business. I, I should, probably should tell them, but it's not my business what somebody did to his car, and they go out there, and you know that they're going to get into an accident, right? Or somebody that's, that's got a... Uh, a disease, and you have the medicine that they need, but I, not my business, right? If, if that's how they want to die, then let them go die that way. That's not a friend, right? A friend is somebody who will tell them maybe something that they don't necessarily want to hear, but something that they need to hear, right? It's just, an, it's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, and that's all we're doing. doesn't mean we're better than somebody else. doesn't mean that we're you know, on a higher scale than them or any of those other things. It means that we're just trying to be a friend, share the message of the gospel. And listen, we all need family. If you've got, a, if you got a, a good family, rely on them. Strengthen it. Keep it. But we have a family right here. You're still on the fence about whether you're going to join the church or not. Join it. Get a part of it. Become a part of it. You need this. We need this. I need this. We're part of the family of God. That's what's going to give us that strength to keep going for him. That's what's going to give us that strength to stay motivated until he comes back. Jump in. Get involved. Serve the Lord. We only have this little window of time. Jesus Christ might come back today. And I hope he does. But if he doesn't come today, it could be tomorrow. It's not tomorrow. It might be a week. We don't know how long we have. Time is short. Even if you live to be 100, time is short. On the grand scheme of eternity, time is short. Let's make it count for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness to us. I know it's a very simple message this morning. We've looked at a lot of Bible passages that show us that we don't have to be alone. If we're saved, we're not alone. If somebody is here this morning and is not saved, God, I pray that you'd help them to recognize the fact that the only way that they're going to get rid of that loneliness is to fill it with Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there is somebody that does not know you as their Savior today, that they'd get that taken care of, that they'd come to know you as their Savior, that they put their faith and trust in you and accept Jesus Christ today. God, beyond that, for those who do know Jesus Christ, I pray that you'd help us to be the witness that we need to be to a lost and dying and lonely world. God, I pray that you'd help us to be a light in this community. I pray that you'd help us to reach out to those that need Jesus Christ and truly be a friend to them. And God, I pray that you'd be able to use us because of it. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.